Well, a good morning to you. A little bit earlier, I was uh, not only welcoming the 915 group, but I was welcoming the 1.5 billion people that were about to watch the soccer game, <laughs> thinking that they would, they would want to tune in to Beulah before uh, they, they took in that game. But uh, I think I was just uh, a little bit deceived. But isn't, isn't it true? Isn't it true that it's actually reminiscent of a day that is coming? A day that is coming when millions upon millions upon millions will cheer and yell and give all their energy not for a piece of inflated pigskin, but for the Lamb of God. And over and over and over again, we will give to him our love, our adoration, our worship. Yes, it's true that 16 and a half years ago, my wife and I joined the staff here at Beulah, and it's been just a total, total delight. And uh, I can say that even to this day, when I unlock the east doors and walk down the hallway to my office, I say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for this great privilege and opportunity that you still afford me. You know, it's interesting. I, I got to work with Keith for 15 years, and now I, I work for someone that actually I'm old enough to be his dad. <laughs> but it's crazy. No one ever, ever takes me to be his dad. Like, I, I don't, don't, don't know why that is, but I'm never suspected as Daniel's dad. But uh, it, is, it is a privilege. Let's just bow for a moment. Thank you, Lord, for this offering of worship that has just been given to you. Oh, thank you for the gift, God, of singing. Singing heartfelt love and worship. Thank you for doing that, being able to do that together. And Lord, you are so worthy of our love and our praise. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you might find within each heart a yes. A yes to what you're saying today, what you're saying to them individually. And let us leave this place then having heard from God and having been strengthened then to continue the journey. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. A suppertime ritual in my growing up home went something like this. Even before grace had been offered, my dad sitting at the head of the table would look up and he would look around the house and he would say, oh no, way too many lights on. And so two or three of us kids would scatter throughout the old farmhouse and we'd shut off the numerous extra lights. Now this likely came from my father's days of kerosene lamps when you just didn't waste oil or typically you didn't leave one of those lamps burning in an empty room. 
Well, move the story forward to the, the home that my wife and I would have. And the question would be, how would we handle this turning off lights family tradition? Well, the truth is we carried it on. We shut off lights when they weren't being used. And we taught our three kids when they left a room to switch off the light. That just kind of became a routine. And of course, when they didn't do it, guess who did it? So now comes the big test in our family's unfolding history. What will our children do in their homes in this regard? Well, in at least one of our children's homes, I can walk in in the middle of the day and lights are on everywhere. <laughs> the kitchen, the living room, the hallway, the dining room. And I kind of have this chuckle and inner sag inside, and I think, on this one, I didn't do so well. <laughs> Why, in just three short generations, a, a great family value has been given up. You know, as we've been studying Paul's letter to the Philippians, I couldn't help but think that from a spiritual standpoint, Paul would agree with my daughter. He would say, turn the light on, not turn it off. Oh, God has shone his amazing light into our hearts, the light of his wisdom and truth, the, white, the, the, the light of his love. And now he says to each of us, turn the light on. Let it burn brightly day after day. And so it's almost like we could go through this letter to the Philippians and and look at each individual section, and look at the flavor of light. Having been given to us from God, we are now to shine brightly. And so in chapter 2, you remember that? Turn on the light of humble servanthood. Let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Chapters 3, and then again in 4, turn on the light of joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Remember a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Daniel was talking about Yodia and Syntyche, where Paul was saying, agree together in the Lord. Turn on the light of unity. And so today we come to the final message in the Advent season. Philippians 4, 6 to 9, turn on the light of of peace. So let's read it together. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. I'm sure for many, verse 6 is so familiar that you could quote it by memory. 
We've heard it so many times, haven't we? Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. But there's an important question we actually need to start with. Coming to the theme of these four verses, what is that peace that Paul is talking about? And how do we know that we have it? You see, so many of our definitions and ideas of peace are examples of little p peace. Maybe first world peace. And so people like my friend Charlie, for him, a definition of peace would be unending gulf. All winter long in a place like Palm Springs. Or to a young mom, peace might be all the kids are safely tucked away in bed. Hubby's at the Oilers game. And I have the house to myself. Turn up the music, turn down the music. Do whatever I want. Oh, I'm sure there's many, many examples and stories like this of our version of peace. Peace. But friends, God's Spirit wants to stir into us something that we could call capital P, peace. It's God's peace. And I believe that on God's part, it's not on the level of a wish it's on the level of longing on God's part. This is how much he wants us to experience his peace. Oh, not just the absence of noise and chaos. Not just calm and quiet and pleasantries on a silver tray. No, this higher peace is about the wholeness and completeness that we experience in Jesus. This higher peace is relational in nature. Not simply an experience or a sentiment. Oh, there's something living and dynamic about God's peace. It's shared life with Jesus. It's actually kind of where heaven and earth meet. That's peace. I want you just to take two fingers and make two circles. Okay, you think you're up to that? Okay. That circle stands for me. That circle stands for Jesus. Now take these two circles and go like this. You see that overlap point? Where God meets me at my point of need. He meets me in life right there where it overlaps. That's peace. That's peace. Oh, it's all the good things that we enjoy in and with him. Jesus put it so clear in John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. But notice how Paul mentions something that could seem to spoil this warm and cozy blanket of peace. He says anxiety or worry. Oh, that unwelcome, unpleasant disturber of our peace. Yes, that traveling companion that we didn't invite. And Paul is actually giving us a word here that could be fleshed out in a whole variety of other words. Fussing, fuming, upset, discouragement, touchy, edgy, 
You know, I believe that he introduces this theme because again and again in our lives, this actually is the central cause of our disturbance and our lack of peace. Oh, we act out, don't we, in a whole variety of different ways. The way we talk or the way we don't talk, the way we act and react. But it stems from some anxiety, some worry, Worry over money and finances. Worry over some challenge in the lives of family and friends. Worry about health. Worry about some outcome that's before us. Well, I want us then to notice three concrete ways to turn on the light of God's peace. And the first is this. By centering our soul in God's presence. You see, this anxiousness that we're talking about is actually rooted in self-energy. I'm in control. My skill and knowledge and experience will get me out of this problem. At least I hope so. And I think that's, that's at the heart then of our worry because we start to wonder if indeed what I have will do it. It's kind of like not using the power on your e-bike when peddling up a really steep hill. You know, it's all manual, it's all on you. And that's kind of at the heart of worry, isn't it? But notice how simply Paul just lays it out. He doesn't give kind of three psychological ways to, you know, to deal with this, to get on top of it. He just says, don't. Stop. Quit. It's almost like he's saying to the Philippian believers, in one humble, honest gesture of faith, leave this land of self and useless toil and lean on Jesus. Turn from this scatteredness. Turn from this depletion of, of emotional, physical, mental energy and through thanksgiving-filled prayer, center your soul in the presence of God. Whoever you are, wherever you're at in your spiritual maturity, whatever age you're at, whatever your, your concern, ask for God's help. It doesn't get much more simple than that, does it? I want us to notice that what Paul is teaching is not his idea. It's not kind of the latest buzzword in church circles. But rather, this is the continual direction of the people of God. That's what he's talking about. This is the continual direction of the people of God. We are always moving or should move toward God. Oh, we can't help but come to him. We were rescued and redeemed to now be comfortable in the presence of God. No, not careless, not arrogant. Oh, but to be comfortable, literally, in his holy place. And so down through history, the people of God have done exactly what Paul is saying. And Paul would know that from the Old Testament scriptures. What time I am afraid? I will trust in him. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. 
Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Or this beautiful one from 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. And so Paul would say, do you want peace? Then don't worry. Don't be anxious. Instead, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Come before him. A helpful illustration of this centering comes from that once yearly entrance of the high priest into the most holy place. I hope you're familiar with this. It was the day of atonement. It was the day of at-one-ment with God. And here the priest then, once a year, would come with a blood offering. He'd come through that thick curtain that divided the holy of place and the most holy. And there he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. Well, this was the most fearful thing that that high priest would do all year. This holy of holies was where God dwelt. This holy of holies was where the glory of God was manifested, but the priest needed to come, not entirely for himself, but to represent the people to God and to, and to represent God to these people. So I, I have a question for you. What beautiful thing did God provide for Aaron, the high priest, and subsequent high priests in this ministry of intercession? Well, the answer is, it was, as it were, a special vest. It was called an ephod with 12 precious gems attached to the front of it. This was a, a very, very ornate garment. And the names of each of the 12 tribes etched in these very, very expensive, costly gems. I want you to think of the weight of care and concern then that Aaron might have had for the tribes of Israel. And it might have gone something like this. Oh, Naphtali, he's so stubborn. Reuben, when I look at him, I, I think he's so directionless. And there's Judah that's lost their joy and Dan and Issachar, they're bitter towards each other. Joseph and Benjamin, what can I say about them? And, and he would finish the whole 12 and, and just feel this weight. And if, if he was honest, he might say, I feel so anxious. I feel so worried. But wearing his vest... Wearing this sacred ephod with the names of the 12 tribes on his breast. He comes before God and waits for God to uniquely shine his light on each one of those stones to give him guidance and encouragement and counsel. Oh, his soul and the soul of Israel becomes centered, centered in the presence of God. Let me ask you this morning, where do you store your special and sacred gems with their names on each one? You see, we all have them, don't we? 
We all have them. There are kids, aren't they? There are grandkids. That they might be our brothers and sisters, our mom and dad. We all have those special gems with, this, with their name etched into it. Katie, Henry, Connor, Sarah. You know your names. You know, for me, I, including myself, I have 12 on my vest. Where do we store them? Where do we keep them? You know, so often we put them in our worry chest, don't we? That's what we do with our, these special gems. And from time to time we take our worry chest and we open it up with other people and, and, and we tell them the stories, don't we, of the things that are going on that, that really could get us down. Oh, maybe we clutch, clutch our chest closely to our own chest. And we just drag it around with us every day, right? Just become real good at being a worry wart. Maybe we even use our chest as a pillow at night. We just can't give it up. But friends, let me tell you this, that if we know Jesus, if we know Jesus, we have both a vest and a welcome into God's presence. And Jesus would say then, as we wear our vest as priests. Oh, place your gems on your, on your vest and come to me. Come to me. Oh, this is a place of mercy. This is not a place of condemnation and put down. No, here in his presence we are protected. We are provided for. We find rest for our soul. Oh, the hymn writer put it this, this way, we are coming to a king. Large petitions we will bring. You notice the conclusion in verse seven. When that happens, God's peace, God's peace that can't be produced by man, that can't be explained by man, will now guard your hearts and minds, guard your thoughts, Guard your feelings through Christ Jesus. Oh, shalom will be like an army that guards a city. These Philippian believers were familiar with that. This sentinel that would completely surround a city. And Paul is saying now, God's peace will be that army securing your peace. Now serving heaven's healing and thriving and rest. We turn on the light of peace by centering our souls, first of all, in God's presence. Secondly, we, we turn on the light of peace by refreshing our minds in God's beauty and his wonder. You know, if we look closely at verse 9, you'll notice that Paul still has peace on his heart, doesn't he? But here he's challenging them about something else that's very, very important. Verse 8, it's what they think about. It's what they soak and marinate in. He says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just and pure and lovely and commendable, oh, if there's any moral excellence, anything praiseworthy, 
Anything really worth telling my neighbor? Then dwell on these things. You know, I believe that with a kind of inner pain, Paul would think of the climate and the culture of Philippi. Chapter 2, verse 15, he's already described it, hasn't he? As a wicked and perverse generation. And now looking at, at, at this verse, chapter 4, verse 8, I believe the opposite of each of these beautiful virtues would further describe the world that they lived in. Oh, so much of Philippian society was untrue. Untrue, dishonorable, unjust, impure, irreverent, immoral, unadmirable. And so Paul is presenting here a kind of tension. On the one hand, they lived, and we too live in a very broken world where, like the hymn put it, it's no friend to grace to lead us on to God. Yes, on, that, on one hand we have that. But on the other hand, we need constant refreshment, don't we? Of our imaginations in the ways of faith. So notice how Paul does not give them permission to throw up their hands in despair and quit. He doesn't say, oh, it's so bad. Sorry, forget it. No. Look at the last words of verse 5. The Lord is near. The God of the armies of heaven is with us. And he's saying if we look, we will find him hidden in plain sight. Yes, if we listen closely, we will literally hear the music of heaven. If with great intention we seek this refreshment in beauty and wonder, then our words and our actions will bear witness to a God who is true and lovely and pure and commendable. And our own hearts will be filled with peace. So where do we go to find these grace-filled virtues that we can soak in? I'm just going to give you a little ladder to climb. And here's the clue to the first rung. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them bloom for me and you. And I say to myself, what a wonderful world. Oh, dear Louis. He's reminding us, isn't he, that this is our Father's world. This is our Father's world. Not only created by Him, but held together by Him. And around every corner, literally around every corner, in even the smallest ways, is the signature of God. The symphony of heaven. Do we see it? Do we hear it? Let me give you a few ideas. Big, strong, husky dad. 
walking hand in hand with his child. We look at it and we say, oh, that's good. That's beautiful. God has his signature across that kind of kindness, that kind of gentleness and love. A caregiver feeding and gently wiping the face of a severely handicapped child or adult. Do you see that? That's a picture of heaven. That's a picture of God's grace. And Paul says, whatever is true and lovely and pure, think about those things. Oh, what about a delicate little chickadee singing his little heart out? A bright and inviting song on the coldest January day. Have you heard that? It stops you in your tracks. Oh God, you are so good. That little chickadee is glorifying you in his chickadee way. And he's telling me that you're so amazing. A senior couple skating majestically arm in arm at West Edmonton Mall. It's so beautiful. And we look at it and we say, oh, God, you sign your signature across that kind of beauty, that kind of wonder. A fresh blanket of snow, alive with a trillion diamonds. A mountain meadow that dances with, with the beauty of flowers. See, God is trying to say to us, in a million ways, I am here. I am here. Do you see me? Do you hear me? A second rung in the ladder is the scriptures, our Bibles. And we literally could put Philippians 4, verse 8, right at the cover of our Bibles. Whatever is true, it's all true. Whatever is lovely, whatever is just and honest, whatever is praiseworthy, Again, it's worth telling my neighbor. Oh, perhaps Paul was thinking of Psalm 19 as he wrote Philippians 4, 8. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. They're more desirable than gold, even finest gold. Listen to this. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. Oh, could it be? Could it be, friends? Could it be, brothers and sisters, that we lack so much capital P peace? because we simply do not refresh our minds in the wonder of God through Scripture, through Holy Scripture. Oh, thy word is like a garden, Lord, with flowers bright and fair. And everyone who seeks may pluck a lovely cluster there. Thy word is like a deep, deep mine with jewels rich and rare are hidden in its mighty depths 
for every searcher there? You know, about two years following the writing of Philippians, Paul would write to Timothy what would be his final letter. Likely this was the last letter before he would give up his life in martyrdom. And there in that epistle, what does he request to Timothy? Timothy, when you come, bring my coat. It's kind of chilly in this prison. Bring my coat. But also bring my books and the scrolls. And then he says, especially the scrolls. It's like he was saying, I need some more wonder. I need some more peace. Oh, we could move on and up this ladder and talk about other things that are so beneficial to our minds. And they all, all these things must be gauged by the grid of 4-8. They need to be true and lovely and pure. Oh, what about good books that we can read? We are so blessed. We are so blessed. For my birthday, I got Henry Nouwen's book, The Prodigal's Return, and I can hardly wait to get into that. It's going to be full of wonder and glory as it points me to God. And that's my exhortation to, to you today. Unplug. Unplug. We can't rely on CNN and Fox and Globe and CTV and CBC for our wonder and our glory. We won't get it there. We have to come to the scriptures. We have to come to good books written by spirit-filled writers. Oh, there's so much more, but friends, it's there. It's there, the wonder and the glory of God for us to soak in and have our minds refreshed in that then we might live it out as sons and daughters of the King. And so we turn on the light of peace by centering our soul in God's presence, by refreshing our minds in God's wonder and beauty, by literally becoming scavengers of wonder, by searching and seeking the beauty and the glory of God. And here's the last way, by renewing our passion in God's kingdom mission. Verse 9, do, you, do, do what you have learned and received and heard from me. And the God of peace will be with you. I want you to imagine Oli and Axel, a couple Scandinavian brethren that emigrated to Philippi. I don't know how they got there. You figure it out. But they're having a discussion after the public reading of this letter from Paul. Can you imagine this? And Axel says, Oli, what was Paul really thinking when he says, do? Put into practice what I both taught and I modeled. And Axel 
or Ole rather would remind Axel of the fixed pattern of Christian doctrine. Those architectural drawings of the faith that Paul had so faithfully communicated to the Philippian believers. Pastor Tim talked about this a number of weeks ago. Oh, so beautiful. Not suggestions. You know, not some good ideas. No, this was the Word of God. And it, and it doesn't matter how, how our culture changes the definitions. And our society moves the goalposts. This still is the Word of God. And Paul would say, do what I taught and what I modeled for you. And Axel would follow with how Paul had taught them so much about living out God's love in church community. And the two men would agree, yes, this too we should do. And then I want you to imagine Oli bursting from his seat. Axel, I gets it. I gets it. For Paul, it was all about sharing the gospel. That's what he taught us. That's what he modeled. He was all in. It wasn't a hobby. It wasn't something he just thought about when he was in the church setting, a little sideline if he had the time. This was his breath, his life, his passion. He says this in 1 Corinthians 9, 22, I have become all things to all men that by all possible means I might win some. Oh, friends, listen to this. We simply cannot know. We will not experience capital P, peace, if we do not join in Christ's mission to take the gospel to the whole world. In our corner, in our way, in the spirit of God's love and his truth. I think of a couple of our seniors. Beautiful story. We'll call them John and Sam that go to A&W for breakfast. And they get in on the seniors deal. It's pretty exquisite. On a paper plate. And John and Sam, on one of these occasions, they notice another senior that's there, 85 plus years old, and they can tell he's down. There's something wrong. They go over, and they share love with him. They share Jesus. They give him the truth. This gentleman goes home and God meets him in a miraculous way and the next time they meet him he's an absolutely changed man. Why? Because these two seniors get it. They get it. The passion, the passion for the mission, the kingdom mission must not flag But if ever there's a fire that easily goes out, it seems like it's this one. If you and I would know peace, our passion must be renewed on and on again for the mission, God's mission, to build his kingdom. Oh, as we conclude, I want to share something. Something that I know about every one of you. I do. 
I know something about everyone that's here this morning. It doesn't matter if you're a, a young couple that's just kind of getting going in all the dreams of, of your home. It doesn't matter if you're middle-aged. It doesn't matter if you're a retired boomer. It doesn't matter if you just had your 90th birthday. It doesn't matter. Here's what I know about you. You want more. You want more. Oh, your being redeemed, indwelt by the Spirit, wants more than just little pea peace. And your, and your heart tells you that, that you could have all the beautiful luxuries of this world. All the trips to Hawaii, all the toys in the garage, all the caboodle of kids running through the hallways, all the niceties, but your heart wouldn't be satisfied. Why? Your heart longs for capital P peace, that the fullness that you experience would be the fullness of Jesus. That flood of fullness that we have in him. And so it could be, I trust, I hope so, I pray that the response of your heart this morning is, yes, yes, that's what I want. That's what my journey is going to look like from now to my last breath. And that's going to mean that day by day I need to center my soul in the presence of God. That's going to mean that over and over again, my mind is refreshed in the wonder and glory and goodness of God. Oh, it's going to mean I'm not going to let the fire of my passion go out to be an agent of good news. Oh, God, lay some soul upon my heart and love that soul through me and may I humbly do my part to win that soul for thee. Let's pray together. How rich I am since Jesus came my way redeemed my soul and turned my night to day. How very rich, how very rich I am. All things have changed. My eyes once blind can see. The whole wide world is now a symphony. And with all this, heaven is my destiny. How rich I am. Oh, Holy Spirit of God, come upon us in a new way. Enable us, God, in new ways in 2023 to turn on the light of peace. In your holy name we pray. Amen.